Welcome back to another episode of the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Mudgear Hannibal Race Pro, Evan Paris. I had a guest with me on the line. Before we get to him, though, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Obstacle Running Adventures. That's right. Another podcast is sponsoring our, our own podcast. So head over to Obstacle Running Adventures if you want some more coverage, especially if you're in the Northeast. Uh, uh, Mike Stefano and Caitlin Ritter, or Caitlin Stefano, I guess now, uh, both live in the Northeast in Massachusetts area. So they co- cover a lot of those local events up there. Uh, I've got a, one of the most regularly occurring podcasts. They've been producing like episodes every week for, I don't know how many years now, five years. It's been a hot minute and uh, you can check them out. If you want more content, we know we've dropped the number of episodes we produce just to about two per month. And then I also occasionally stray into random topics just like this episode. So if you want pure OCR content, now, uh, plus a little bit of the local events in the Northeast, you can head over and listen to Obstacle Running Adventures. All right, let's bring on our guests. I have uh, Tommy Chrysostomo. I'm going to mess up your name. Chrysostomo, is that right? Yep, it is correct. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the line, he is a martial artist who also occasionally will dip his toe in the obstacle course racing world in the form of City Challenger uh, race. So a little bit about his background, but I'm going to let him explain it probably in more depth because uh, – uh, there's a lot there as far as the martial arts side. Um, trained in Aikido, Judo, and Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. And then basically, I'd say your your strongest and uh, most active part of martial arts is the Filipino martial arts. Uh, is that correct? Uh, yes, that's correct. So I do a blend of – so currently what I practice is Kali Silat. So it's a strong a blend of Kali uh, Filipino martial arts as well as uh, Indonesian martial arts. Ah, gotcha. Okay, so we're going to be talking mostly about uh, Kali and Sealot since we haven't really explored that topic. And then we're also going to talk about City Challenge Race. And then we're also going to talk about his small training group, which I think it can apply also to those who are looking at doing like a small obstacle course racing training group. Again, this is primarily an obstacle course racing focused podcast, but we bring in people from other sports or other complex skills such as martial arts to steal their lessons learned and then apply them to obstacle course racing. And since this is my podcast and I am currently on a deep dive into martial arts, you get a lot of martial arts content mixed into your obstacle course racing content. Um, so I'm trying to spread it out, doing different styles and kind of stealing some of their lessons learned from across the larger martial arts community. All right. So let's, let's back up a little bit mm-hmm. before we get into the city challenge. Um, talk, talk to me a little bit about, your background in martial arts and kind of uh, give me like the, you know, the two or three minute version of your, your journey through martial arts and how you ended up where you are today. Yes, absolutely. So in my journey of martial arts, you know, um, definitely UFC and mixed martial arts was a big influence as far as me dabbling into judo and jujitsu more so Japanese jujitsu as opposed to Brazilian jujitsu. Uh, something I've, that really intrigued me about Japanese jiu-jitsu is that it was um, incorporated a lot more striking, a lot more joint locks, and uh, a lot more of a stand-up game as opposed to just going straight to the ground. Mm. But uh, even before then, um, a buddy of mine, he practiced Aikido years ago. So being a high schooler, I was really interested in learning about Aikido, and it was just something that was like off the beaten tra- uh, path as opposed to Taekwondo and uh, karate and, uh, and all the other mainstream commercialized, or in my opinion, commercialized martial arts. So I got into Aikido first. Uh, I would actually go from where I lived in uh, Jersey to uh, New York City to train with New York Aikikai for about a month or two. But uh, I will tell you, with all the Japanese martial arts I've trained, a lot of it was just kind of dabbling, getting into it, uh, mostly because of time, resources, and you know, at, at, at that phase in life, uh, just going through a lot of transitions from you know, being a high schooler to someone in college, didn't really have a lot of uh, cash flow. So I had to decide either to pay my tuition or practice martial arts. <laughs> so, um, you know, the first martial art I really practiced was Aikido. Then from there, when I was in college, and that's when I was in high school, but in college, that's when I practiced uh, judo for a couple months. But then after college, that's when I practiced uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu. Um, I spent about half a year in Yoshisune Kaijitsu as well as uh, Taizenru Taiho Jitsu, which with the Yoshisune, that's more traditional Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, and with, with the Taizenru Taiho Jitsu, they actually incorporated a lot of the police takedowns, a lot of joint locks, and how to apprehend a, uh, 
a perpetrator, mm. pretty much. Uh, but what was amazing to me about that experience was that with the Taizenru Taiho, Taiho Jitsu, not only did we learn how to break down the body as far as the joint locks, takedowns, and apprehending individuals, but then also we would actually practice shiatsu, how to actually heal the body at the end of the class. So we would spend the last 10, 20 minutes of the class after we've been throwing each other around, beating each other up, then we would actually uh, start engaging the meridian lines on people's backs and actually try try to get um, not try but actually engage the healing process so that we could recover faster so that was that was an amazing experience but that's, then uh, that's that's pretty cool because i know like a lot of people train bladed arts don't mm-hmm. ever talk about like what happens when you actually get cut right because there's this the whole second part of it where it's like all right well now i'm bleeding everywhere even if i quote unquote won the knife fight right like yeah. how do i deal with this or even just like common sense hey i'm training and you know so an accident happens and someone actually gets cut, um, which should not happen because you use training blades or you should be using training blades. But yeah, that, I think I, I like that, how it kind of a little more complete full circle. Uh, before we keep going with your background, uh, for our listeners, Aikido, um, I would say made famous in American cult, pop culturized by uh, Steven Seagal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Aikido gets, some, gets a lot of hate from people. Uh, is that warranted or do you... Do you still like it even though you've been practicing all these other styles or are there are good components that we can take away from that? Absolutely. You know, in my opinion, with many martial arts, there's a lot of great uh, principles and, and components that we could take and use. Uh, and I will tell you this, like when I uh, practiced judo, one of the things that my instructor or sensei at the time pointed out was that my roles were more like a keto roles uh, because how it roll, I would quickly recover and get back up. Mm. Whereas with with a judo, they're looking for you to actually fall and break your fall, and and kind of take it to the ground. And so, I will say this: Yeah, there is definitely a lot of bad rap as far as aikido is concerned. But aikido, for its purposes and what it's intended for, is a very beautiful martial art, both in the philosophical sense, but also in the practical sense. Because with aikido, even though it was made to, you know, from uh, from most sensei you know, deal with a lot of the laws that were placed on Japan at that time in order to continue the traditions. But when you really look at it as from a martial application, definitely more of a bladed or weapon-based uh, martial art, mm. uh, the big motions to the throws, to the, um, to the joint locks and breaks, definitely you're dealing with, with an armored opponent um, that's in full battle gear. And so you can't really punch someone if they're wearing body armor, but you could break their elbows. You could, you know, you could actually uh, put them in an arm bar because those are the soft, uh, air, soft areas that uh, you could attack. So with Aikido, very much a lot of practical usages if you know what to look for and how to apply it. Gotcha. Interesting. All right. Uh, continue on with uh, some of your deep dive into some of the other uh, Filipino martial arts and Pekiti Terja, Indonesian martial arts, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So um, from that, you know, movies like Jason Bourne, the Bourne Identity series to um, even The Hunted with Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio Del Toro, it really opened up to Filipino martial arts. And it was something that, you know, as uh, someone who was born in America, I've always wanted to be uh, to, to reconnect with, you know, my Filipino roots. And so I saw Kali as an opportunity to be able to get in touch with my culture, or at least with my with my mother's culture. So, you know, when I was in college, I picked up a couple of books. One was on uh, Kalis Ilustrasimo, and then another book on Cabal Serrata uh, Escrima, which with those two, those are two different uh, systems of uh, Kali, um, and both have different emphases. Uh, one is more bladed. The other one is more impact weapon uh, oriented. And when you look into history of that, you can see where those systems came from. You know, with uh, the founder of Kalis Estrasimo, dude was just basically a badass. You know, he actually had to kill people. He, you know, that was his line of duty. That was his job. Um, and But whereas with Angel Kabbalas, he worked on the docks, so he had to work with a shorter weapon in order to deal with thieves and criminals that are trying to break into the docks and steal products. So he, he couldn't really carry around a sword, but he had a shorter stick. And so he learned how to fight with that and use those skills. But, um, but yeah, it was in, uh, as far as my journey in July of 2019, that's when I 
uh, came across uh, Dosa Paris as well, uh, in Jersey, in Jersey City, uh, as well as uh, Kunta Cruzada Kali, which I spent three months with uh, Rich Acosta, as well as Wilton Valerio and um, Alex uh, Garezzo. That's where I really uh, got into martial arts. Um, practicing with the Kunta Cruzada uh, Kali crew, it, that's when, you know, Kali just became ingrained in me. So in those three months, I would practice three, four times uh, uh, a week. Anytime I had time, I would just go right into New York City and train with those guys. Then during my off time or even when I'm exercising at the gym, I would actually just do Kali, do my footwork. Uh, I didn't really want to bring my sticks out <laughs> in the middle of the gym. <laughs> but I would go to the park and I would just practice my, my, my uh, footwork and my, uh, my stick work just to get that down. And it just it became a part of me. Then when I moved to Maryland, I came across uh, Apollo and Bobby Ladra. I spent more time training with Bobby than Apollo, but, you know, I was working with them, uh, training with them in the uh, Bikini Tertia Tri-V method of uh, teaching. And so for about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half, almost two, I trained with Bobby. Then um, I worked with uh, Mike Zichek of Sina Tertia Wally, which Sina Tertia Wally. So I'm going to basically get, kind of list all the systems um, a lot of a lot of cross training along the way, but with Sina Tertia Wali, it is a system that was founded on uh, Bikini Tertia, as well as uh, Dosa Paris, and then a couple uh, Pot Sealot. Uh, because uh, uh, years ago Eddie Jaffrey, he was the one that brought Penjock Sealot into America and made it more uh, well known in the New York City area. Uh, fun fact about Eddie Jaffrey. He was the kind of guy that after a seminar, he would talk to his students and, you know, teach the guys how to deal with knives and fight with a knife. Then he'll go, hey, let's go to uh, Central Park. Now, at that time, back in the 70s, New York City was a real bad you know, area. But he'll go into Central Park, have dollar bills hanging out of his pocket and, and try to, you know, basically get people to mug him so he could use his martial arts. Um, um, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Questionable logic, but uh, yeah, wanting to te- pressure test the system, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but with Sina Tertia Wally, those were the, those were the founding um, systems. And then um, last year, I became uh, uh, certified as a guru in Sina Tertia Wally. But nowadays, I'm under the uh, the banner of Combat Kali Silat, which uh, Tony McGregor, he is a uh, student of Greg Allen, the founder of Sina Tertia Wally. But with uh, Tony, he trained in two different um, systems of Kali. One is Bikini Tertia Kali, as well as Dikiti Serata, Dikiti Tertia Serata, which both are taught by the same family, the Tortile family, but they have different emphases and different perspectives on the techniques. That's his Kali, but as far as his C-Lot, with Tony McGregor, he also teaches Harry Mao, Chimandi, Sarak as well, uh, you know, I always mispronounce it, but Sarak, um, and then also Lankampat Silat. Uh, so quite a mixture of Kali and Silat uh, that is being taught. Gotcha. Now for our listeners, a lot of them are not martial artists, so explain what Kali is and then explain what Silat is real okay, quick, the, cool. the wave top version. Yeah. Absolutely. So a good way to look at it is this, is that with Kali, we're very much blade-oriented. We don't like to leave – we don't ever want to let go of our blades. Whereas with in the, uh, with C-Lot, C-Lot is the other side of the coin, uh, where with C-Lot, we could actually do a lot more with our empty hand. Of course, we're blade-oriented in C-Lot, but we have no problems just fighting empty hand. Whereas with Kali, they like to stay – keep their blades in their hands at all times. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, you know – Listening to your bio and then also reading your bio, you know, you, you've bounced around through a lot of different systems um, before kind of or at least apparently settling for a little – at least for a little bit. Why jump around versus sticking with one specific style? Like a lot of people go to a martial arts school, whatever's closest to their house. They'll do that one style, and that, that's the path they're, they're on, whether they chose that path or whether it's just the physically the closest location to them. Uh, why did you bounce around? And, we, you know, we see that. Some of that we see with obstacle course racing too, where people find a like they the first brand they show up to is Spartan, and they're like, "I will I will not do any of the races besides Spartan now because that's what the first race I went to was." Yeah, absolutely. So 
here's my mindset. And then this kind of leads into obstacle course race, uh, racing. So for me, when it comes to martial arts, so much, so much information is available. So as much as you have schools and you have your systems, and then you might even have people who are more more traditionalists as far as like having the family system and very secretive about what they teach and who they teach and whom they teach. But one thing I've learned is that when it comes to martial arts, there's only so many ways you can manipulate the body. There's only so many ways you can punch, you can kick and, and, you know, basically fight off uh, an attack, an aggressor. So with these perspectives, when I train with, you know, cross train with a lot of other martial artists from Wing Chun folks to uh, Aikido, to Judo, Jiu Jitsu, uh, Muay Thai guys, I'm really looking for what are the fundamentals? What are some thing, key components I could take from each of these different things and make it my own? Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to be able to do the moves that they do. I'm not going to be able to do all the techniques that they do. But if I can understand how to get there, then I could you know, kind of reverse engineer those techniques and then I can make my own. And then from there, take the, the Lego blocks and build a whole new structure with, with what I learned. And that kind of applies to obstacle course racing because a lot of times when you look at a problem, you're like, shoot, how the hell am I going to, uh, you know, I see monkey bars, but now I see the ropes I got to uh, grab onto. There are uh, metal bars that I got to, that are hang, either hang down or, or vertically or horizontally. And I got to be able to, to figure out how to cross from one side to the other. How do I do that? Or when you have, you know, uh, a nine foot wall versus a four foot wall, you know, sure. The basic idea is get over the wall, but now you got to think of what are some key components? So what are some fundamentals you got to do for some, you might be able to just kind of grab onto the top of the uh, wall, pull yourself up like a pull up, then, um, then climb over for some, you got to, you know, kick off the wall. So there's so many things that for me, martial arts and obstacle course race re, uh, racing, really kind of blends together because again okay i'm not going to do cinewally i'm not going to do <laughs> i'm not going to do you know triangle footwork on on uh while i'm carrying a sandbags but it's the idea of discipline looking at the fundamentals looking at your your strengths your 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 core strength your ability to do things and how you could problem solve as you're going through the obstacle course yeah no i love it it definitely complex problem solving and uh, you know, taking into account variables, right? Yeah, I know when I do jujitsu, you know, there there are some guys who are, are like all attribute based, you know, ro- grapplers or rollers, where they're like, oh, I'll just muscle my way through everything. It's like, well, yeah, that works uh, if you're stronger than your opponent, but sometimes you're not stronger than your opponent, and then eventually you're going to get tired, and then if you don't have good fundamentals, it's not going to work. And the same thing with, you know, with my specialty is ultra endurance obstacle course racing, so I can. I can muscle my way over a wall and since you do a muscle up on, on the top of the wall, mm-hmm. but I can't do a muscle up to the top of the wall after 12 hours of running in the middle of a, you know, ultra endurance race. Like it, my, my body gives out. Right. So if, if I don't have the good fundamentals yeah. to be able to, you know, kick off the sideboard or whatever, uh, to, uh, the good technique, it's, it's just not going to work. So, um, yeah. And then also, you know, if you're doing a short race, you may want to conserve some of that muscle strength, some of that energy for the rigs later on. So, yeah, absolutely. It's there are a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of times where folks, like you said, they would actually muscle through, and you know, because they're so used to just doing attributes. You know, they they're physical athletes as far as strength is concerned. But by the time they get to the end of the uh, course, that's when you start having more like American Ninja Warrior type obstacle courses, where you really got to climb up on uh, metal rigs. You got to use your basically, you know. Um, rock climbing um techniques and because they're so worn out from everything else that they did they'll just you know settle for doing the 30 burpees and move on Mm. and so that's that's the thing where with martial arts there that's where the discipline comes in knowing how to pace yourself knowing how to use like you said the proper fundamentals like uh kicking off the sideboard so you can climb up on on uh on a wall so you're not just muscling up all the time and also like that's where the training comes in, you know, cause I'll be honest, like when it comes to course racing, there are a lot of times where I, and I'm not saying for our listeners to not train, we should be training all the time, 
But there are times where I, I don't have the time to train. From all the martial arts training I do, from attending seminars to training with other folks to teaching, uh, I don't have a whole lot of personal time to just exercise and, and really focus on, um, you know, uh, doing rock climbing or doing the conditioning so I can get ready for an obstacle course race. But because of the discipline I have in martial arts, it helped me to, you know, uh, to discipline myself as far as the running portion is concerned. Or when it comes to um, climbing over obstacle courses or even carrying heavy weights, from flipping tires to carrying cinder blocks and, and sandbags, is thinking about, okay, what is my technique? How am I applying my core? How am I using my legs? How am I using my proper footwork so that when I'm running, I'm not going to end up with shin splints or, or hurting my knees just because I'm running heel to toe as opposed to just running with the midfoot of my, you know, mid part of my foot. So all kinds of really great te techniques that come from martial arts, it applies to obstacle course racing. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your training group. You know, how did it start? Are there other Kali schools in the area? Um, but you just created your own little group or was there no Kali schools in the area, et cetera, stuff like that. Oh, okay. So, you know, <laughs> so I kind of, let me kind of backtrack a little bit okay. as far as, um, you know, uh, the cross training and come across different groups. And then I'll lead that into the group that I'm training now. So it, it just kind of happened that way. Um, when I first saw Dosa Paris, um, it was kind of a bad experience, non, you know, for on my part, because when I trained with those guys for about two sessions, it was only until the second session after approximately six hours of training, I was told that everything I was doing was all wrong and finally was being corrected. I was like, oh man, this is, this is not good teaching, but it was just from, it just, it just kind of happened that way where going from Dosa Paris to, uh, Quinta Crusada Kali. Then moving to Maryland, I had to find a, a group to train with in Maryland because I wanted to carry on my uh, training. And so I want, always wanted to be open-minded to, for one, to look at the fundamentals, to look at the principles that are being taught and make it my own. But then also, too, if there's another way that people could problem solve, why not learn from them? Why not train? Why not be open-minded and say, hey, here's, here's a problem. How do you how do you solve that problem? Um, and so even with the gatherings that we have in Maryland, because there's actually surprisingly enough, there is a, a, a huge saturation of uh, Filipino martial arts schools in the Maryland, D.C. and Virginia area. So we actually have close to three gatherings a year where a good portion, a good number of schools. I'm talking about anywhere from five to ten schools join together and in a family style we all just share our techniques share our share what we teach with each other so that we could all you know learn together and and just appreciate and love the uh, the martial art that we you know are most most passionate about and there are times where i've actually had a uh, a jujitsu guy just come down and share jujitsu uh in our gatherings and then we will apply with knives so if you know if you're if you got someone in your guard how to be able to deploy your blade so that we could, you know, uh, neutralize the threat. So we've done things like that. So, you know, for, you know, reason why I've cross-trained so much is because why not, you know, why limit myself to one system? Um, I know some folks, you know, and there's no, nothing wrong with folks that stay in one system and train in that one system, their, their entire, um, um, martial arts life. That's perfectly fine. And, and they should. But for those who love to cross train and learn and and see different things, you know, they can go down that path as well because there's so many. There's I'm trying to remember how um, Yamamoto Munenori uh, put it, but basically there's so many paths, but there's only one way. Mm -hmm. And so why not look at different paths? Look at many different ways of learning to figure out your way. So when it comes to the to go back to your question now about my training group, it kind of it, it kind of led kind of came from a lot of misunderstandings. But you know, we're kind of uh, going forward. So when I was certified as a guru in Sina Tersha Wali, um, I wanted to stick to the fundamentals and, and really teach those things. Um, but there were a couple of disagreements that I had with the um, with the head instructor, and so basically I was I was you know kicked out of the system. 
Um, but with the guys that I, I trained with, you know, like I kept it honest with them and explained to them, you know, all everything that was happening with the head instructor. Um, but they said, hey, Tom, we want to train with you. We want to learn the fundamentals. We want to make sure we get things right. And, um, you know, I, and I, and I, you know, I, I offered them the, the option. I said, hey, listen, you know, I know that, you know, I want to let you guys know what the story is between um, the head instructor and myself. But, you know, I want to encourage you. If you want to train with him, you can. If you want to train with me, you can. Or if you want to train with me for a while and then work with him and, and do that, I totally encourage you to do that. But either way, you know, if you're going to train with me, I'm gonna, of course, I'm going to teach you the fundamentals, teach you the things that I know. But I'm also going to bring you guys out to seminars because I want you guys to learn as much as possible. Because I don't want you to just have one source of information. I want you to have many sources. That way you can really develop yourself and really grow in your in your martial arts. So, nice. with the, yeah, with the guys I have, I have, um, you know, five, uh, five guys that train with me. Uh, we meet on Sundays and, um, you know, from time to time, whenever seminars come up, I let them know what's going on. And and even if they're not able to come, I'll bring the I'll bring that information back to our group. So that way I can share with them. That way I could help them to grow as as martial artists. So if someone was starting, let's say, let, let's cross this over to obstacle course racing. Mm -hmm. Let's say someone wants to start a small obstacle course race training group in their, because uh, you train at your at your house, is that correct? Or yeah, so um, um, I got plans to actually build an obstacle course race in my backyard, so I could actually, you know, actually do do some training. Um, so uh, I'm talking about for the for uh, for, for martial arts. You train at your house for the martial arts. Yes, yes, for martial arts, I do have my house uh, set up for. For training, yep. Okay, so let's say someone someone wants to do, you know, take some of the lessons you've learned from um, setting up a small training group uh, for martial arts, but then cross them over and apply them to obstacle course racing. If someone wants to grab uh, some friends or some uh, clients or whatever and start mm -hmm. a obstacle course race training group. Any tips you would have for someone starting a new group? Like one, how do you get how do you get people interested, um, etc. Anything you anything you've learned over the um, couple of years you've been training people absolutely so here's something i've learned even before i became certified uh, before i was certified as a guru uh one thing i learned is this find people that are passionate about you uh, about what you're doing uh find people that have the same passion as you and what you're doing so let's say in the scenario of obstacle course racing you know come across as you as you talk to people and not necessarily proselytize people the way you know uh, people of, of certain religions would, but as you talk in kind of casual conversation and you hear someone say, Hey, you know, I wish I, I could do this. I wish I could do that. Why not say, Hey, be a friend and say, Hey, you know what? There's an obstacle course race that's coming up. You want to join me? We could, we could train together and just keep it. No pressure. Just, just keep in mind that a lot of folks are on different, um, paths or journeys in their own fitness, uh, journey. So some people might not be able to run. Some people might have knee problems. Some people may have never done, never lifted a weight at all in their lives. And so one thing I learned uh, when it comes to small group training and, and really trying to, you know, in place of better words, like recruit people, is really just talk to folks and say, hey, you know, uh, you know, I've seen that you have some interest in here. How about you come train with me? You know, um, you know, if you got an obstacle course in your backs in your backyard that where you train, say, hey, you want to come over to my house? Let's let's do a little bit of rock climbing. Let's uh let's go out for a jog. Let's go for a quick run. And and through that, just build relationships. I, I, I find it that for me, all right, what works the most for me as far as building my my student base is really building relationships with people. You know, one of the one of my uh, the guys I train with uh, or trains under me. He pointed out that, you know, when he went to a seminar, even though he was invited by the seminar host, the seminar host didn't even know his name, but yet I knew him by name. And that meant a lot to him that I actually paid attention to learn his name, to talk to him, actually see him as a person and not just as a student. Mm -hmm. And so same thing with obstacle course racing, because even with obstacle course racing, that's a bond that, that you develop someone else where you're both you're both struggling through the same thing whether it be running that 5k or climbing walls, hopping over cop cars, flipping tires, you know, doing jumper with battle rope, all those things is a bonding experience. So it really, the focus, in, in my opinion, 
is building those relationships with your people. So, you know, people, you know, look, you know, like from Spartan to Tough Mudder, you have a lot of um, companies that do, um, you know, uh, team building. The reason why is because they realize, hey, if the team can work together to solve a problem together, then you build bonds that you can't really, you normally don't build with other people. And so for me, it's all, it goes back to people and relationships. And that's a good point. You know, I, I mentioned some of the, I would call, I guess, tribalism that we have with an obstacle course racing of like, I, I only do this brand. And I think you see that even, especially with T Tough Motor and Spartan specifically, because people, it's not even the obstacles, it's the relationships and the community they, they are now friends with at those events, right? So like, the Tough Mudder community is very tight and and like the ones who come to a lot of events are, are a fairly small group. So like everyone kind of knows each other and some of them refuse to race outside Tough Mudder, even though there are courses with much better obstacles at a much lower price that are more convenient to get to. They're like, no, I only do Tough Mudder. And you're like, well, you know, maybe try something else a little bit too. And they're like, no, only Tough Mudder. You're like, all right, fine. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think you, you hit it pretty good there with the, the, importance of relationships uh within a within a group and i'll say from some of my training with martial arts the people who have the passion to stick around are the people who end up going the furthest mostly because every, everyone else essentially just eventually gives up right like the the people we've guys come into the the training gym all the time that are very athletic and you know on a pure physical level would beat some of the people that had been there for a while but a lot of them lose interest after a couple of weeks or months and then they go on and do something else. So, you know, if those guys came back, the, the person who's been training longer would most likely beat them because now they have a whole new series of techniques, more repetitions, and they're faster and smoother at it. So, Yeah, absolutely. And even in like kind of touching base with that, I mean, going back to martial arts, one thing I found that, that you know, kind of drives me is this, is that, you know, you talk about tribalism. The way I see with all the different groups I train with is that I'm all under one tribe. We're all one big family. You know, um, there is a Tuhan in uh, Bikini Tertia. His name is Bill McGrath. He wrote a, a blog. Uh, but long story short, the blog is how big is your is your us? And long story short, you know, when it comes to obstacle course racing or even martial arts or any other passion that we have, how big is your us? You know, yeah. I want to, for me, like something that I, I do, this is a matter of principle for me, is that with the martial art community, I want to build as big of an us as possible because it's all about networking. It's all about relationships. So if I ever hear that someone's moving to a new area I'll, and they ask, hey, do you have any recommendations on uh, a, a martial arts school or a colleague school or C-Lot or, or whatnot? I say, hey, I know someone over there. And I, I love being in that position because I know that we can't just have we can't have the largest group or I can't teach as many people or have as many people come out to my school. But if they live closer to another area, why not go to that other person? You know, um, someone uh, once said this, you know, a rising tide raises all ships. Right. You know, Doug Marqueda, you know, he's on Forge and Fire. And because of that, Kali has really been, you know, really being talked about more and so why not you know say hey here's a colleague school here's doug marqueda uh, showing his videos and uh, hosting his seminars but not everyone's going to be able to go and see doug marqueda personally but they can come out to my school or my training group or they can come out to another training group or if we're in chicago i know people out there so why not you know have that relationship to say hey you, you're you may not work well with this group but how about this other group same with same thing with obstacle course racing some people might be into tough mudder or spartan or the city challenge race which i love doing um why not say hey you know if you if you don't like mud you can do city challenge race which uh, i know you and i talked about it <laughs> you know one of these days i you know i will do tough mudder because why not yeah you know, I, you I, you nailed it again with the you know how big is our us. I was listening to the Wing Chun, Jeet Kune Do, Bruce Lee focused podcast, the uh, Kung Fu Genius, and he was talking about how the you know even someone within someone who does martial arts, even if it's the complete you know if if someone does Aikido and then someone else does Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, the two of you have way more in common than 
um, cause you train in martial arts and you're consistent with it and you, you know, consistency, discipline, learning techniques, learning a new skill, advancing in rank, like all these things and, you know, training in martial arts are all these things you have in common that makes you a lot more similar than different, you know, and sometimes you, we get into the, you get into these fights within the martial arts community, within the obstacle course race community. No, this brand's better than this one. And like, oh, mm-hmm. I don't like this guy. But even the person you probably disagree with most that runs obstacle course racing, you probably have more in common with that person than a lot of the people, you know, that you'll meet on the street or people you work with. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you can find it's, it's always easy to find differences, you know, there's but there's a lot of commonalities across obstacle course racing and uh you know if you're in the martial arts space space in that area as well yeah absolutely all right we're going to start closing out some of the martial arts talk but before we go you know i think a lot of people know specific styles of martial arts based off of movies so any movie recommendations regarding ali or silat and you know it can be like oh here's a good example of something that's very technically executed, but maybe the plot's not very good, or it can just be like, Hey, this one has a lot of Kali in it. And I love it, even though the action is completely ridiculous. So uh, let's do some movie recommendations for some of our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely the raid will come to mind as far as sea lot. That's when you really see so good. Yeah. It's, it's... so good. Uh, especially <laughs> the blades. <laughs> that's such a great sh- uh, movie. Another great movie to see sea lot is uh, John wick three. Uh, especially in the in the final uh, fight scene between the two C-Lot uh, fighters versus John Wick. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's one. a great scene. As far as Kali is concerned, so the funny thing about Kali is that, and I, I got to say it's probably because of the culture. Uh, with the Filipino culture, we've been colonized both by the Spaniards and by, uh, by America, and then uh, from time to time invaded by Japan. So we can integrate our Kali into a lot of different things. But as far as a pure Kali movie, there is The Hunted, uh, where you definitely see a lot of Filipino martial arts. In fact, uh, the Atienza Sayoc guys, they mm-hmm. actually trained um, and uh, instructed uh, Benicio Del Toro and Tommy Lee Jones. Um, so fun. So, I'm, I'm going to interject real quick. So one, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get, I got a, someone I know who does Sayoc that I'm, I'm trying to get on the podcast, just working on a date. But two, if anyone's read my biography, Ultra OCR Man, I quote, stuff from Sayak tactical group in the mm. last chapter because they they came we had like six instructors or so uh two of them got, including a uh, uh thomas kyer uh come and do a like a tactical mindset thing for a bunch of special operations dude that lasted like a week and they're the ones who were like who introduced me to kali in general and then the whole mindset and then they're the ones who introduced me to the hunted and they were like yeah we just got back from you know, I don't remember how long ago it was, but it was like a couple of years. It was still relatively close in time. Like we, uh, we, we helped with the, uh, we were on set for the hunted. And if you watch the special features on the hunted DVD, uh, you can see some of them in the, in the background of the special features. Okay. That's oh man, that is awesome. Man. That is really awesome. Yeah. I really hope that you're able to uh, uh, be able to speak to, uh, you know, have the interview with the Sayoc guy. Cause that'd be, that'd be amazing. Yeah. I, I really like a lot of their mindset stuff and I've, uh, yeah, they're the ones who initially drew me into Kali uh, to start training some of it. So even though I don't specifically train with them, besides that, like one week seminar, like I picked up their DVDs and stuff because I don't there's not a Sayak person that lives locally. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll cross paths with them again at some point in the future. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, another uh, movie that I would suggest, because, again, Kali is something that you when you know what to look for, you can see it. So I meant, I mentioned earlier the Born uh, Identity series. So if you look at the, especially the first Born Identity, when Jason Bourne is attacked by the guy in the office and Jason actually takes out a pen and uses it like a knife, that's what we do in Kali. We could take any object that as a weapon of opportunity in order to defend ourselves. So whether it be a knife, a pen, um, even um you know, what we call dulo dulo, basically a little stick, cylindrical stick. We could use any of those things to defend ourselves. So um, that that that's a great showcase of Kali, where, again, you don't really see it. You know, for most viewers, you, you just go, man, that's really badass that he took a pen and stabbed this guy, you know, a thousand times. But with Kali, that, that's what we do. Like, we actually use that to attack. The principle for Kali practitioners is to defend the state snake, meaning 
we destroy the weapon hand. And once you take that away, then you can actually go in for the kill or neutralize the threat. So um, Jason Bourne definitely was something that opened up my eyes to the Kali world and helped me to get reintroduced into my mother's culture. Nice. Good stuff. Yeah. Right. Now, the, the reason I ended up having you on the podcast, well, one, I met you at a Tiga Tactics seminar or two Tiga Tactics seminars, which we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but also, you had shown up to the last one a couple of weeks ago with um, a City Challenge shirt on because you had competed in and run the City Challenge race the day before. And I was I got really excited because it's not very often the world of martial my world of martial arts and my world of OCR like overlap in the Venn diagram. So mm-hmm. I was excited that that you are in that that very small overlap percentage. Uh, so tell people a little bit about City Challenge Race and you know as an outsider kind of like what you what you really what or what you liked about them and yeah I'll let you talk about City Challenge for a minute. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, growing up in North Jersey, so uh, you know I grew up in the Bayonne, Jersey City area. So when I heard about the City Challenge Race, uh, I wanted to get involved in that because. For one, I've never I've never ran a 5K before, and I've never run an OCR before. But I wanted to try because it just seems so fun to do, especially with all the obstacles that they have. And you know, you know, for the OCR crowd, you already know what what that is from the monkey bars, flipping tires, carrying sandbags and cinder blocks, and all the other things that you know the uh, that the fil- fil- facilitators throw at you to to really challenge you and and really upset you. <laughs> but um. You know, I've been I've been doing City Challenge race since 2015, and I did at least one one or two races a year, but it was in 2019 I really went for it because in a City Challenge race, not only do you get a medal for every time you run the race, but if you do if you participate in three of their races, you get what's called the Tri City Medal. And I'll tell you, like to challenge myself to push myself, I said, you know what, no matter what, I'm gonna I'm going to participate in this thing. I'm going to make sure I set time for, for that Saturday, for those Saturdays. That way I can be a part of the city challenge race and get my tri city medal. So in 2019, um, as I was working out, I also made sure to do my cardio and participate in three races. And I got my, not only did I get the medals for each race, but I got my tri city medal. Um, and I'll tell you, it's what's great about the city challenge race is that, um, it's, it's in an urban environment, which makes it a lot easier because a lot of, uh, folks that live closer to major cities like Manhattan, Philly, and everywhere else, sometimes it's, you know, quite a hike to go out to where Tough Mudder or Spartan is held yeah. and to be able to, uh, participate in those races. But with the city challenge race, you're in a major city, so you can grab a hotel room, run your 5k with the OCR in the OCR, and then afterwards, Walk a couple of blocks, grab something, uh, grab some food to eat, then you're done. And not only that, but and this is the beautiful part for me, is that running in a city challenge race from Jersey City to Hoboken or even in Manhattan itself, just seeing the skyline. There's yeah. nothing like it when you're running on the boardwalk and you're you're doing all the obstacles, and then you take that moment. Now, of course, if you're if you're a speedster, run through it, do your thing. But if you're there to enjoy life and really enjoy the OCR and just taking a moment that you're actually kicking your own ass and, and torturing yourself with a 5K run and, and, and obstacles, take that moment to look at the skyline. Just really enjoy the fact that you're pushing yourself, you're enjoying life, you're doing something that you normally wouldn't do, and just soak it all in. And, and that's something I just enjoy the most about City Challenge Race is that as I'm running through the race, just seeing that skyline and just seeing that beautiful – you know, view while I'm, you know, hopping over cop cars and climbing walls and stuff. It's just, it's just nothing like it. Yeah. They're really a great series. I've only gotten to do one because they're primarily located in the Northeast. So I have to be traveling Mm -hmm. back home to visit family or something to do one. Uh, But the, for our OCR listeners, they are, you know, Justin T. Manning, the Starline MC from OCR world championships is typically the MC at their events. They've had, um, Obstacle builders, so Sydney, Sydney Paul Morris and Race Ready Obstacles have helped construct some of their obstacles. So you get a lot of the OCR World Championship quality feel obstacles at them. So it's it, they're really good as far as 
type of obstacles, uniqueness of obstacles. And then the density of obstacles was like insane. I remember the, the one I did in New Jersey. Oh, it was, it was in New York. I think I did a New mm-hmm. York one. And it was just like obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And the very last obstacle, of the the one I did was uh, stadium steps, mm. double sandbag carry. Oh, God. And yeah. I was straight up. I was straight up dying. I crossed the finish <laughs> line. My dad's like, he's like, you look terrible. I was like, <laughs> I was like, thank. This is my dad who goes to all like my twelve and twenty four hour race. But I crossed the finish line of the five, and he's like, he's like, you don't look very good. I was like, uh, but it was uh, it was good. There, yeah. If if I lived in the Northeast, I would do more of them. Um, and their next one for any of our listeners that are interested in doing one, Saturday, July 29th in uh, New Jersey, Hoboken. Yeah, and Hoboken has a lot of great eateries. I mean, of course, Jersey City does too. But man. You remind me of, of Randall's Island, climb up and down the stadium steps with yeah, two that's, sandbags. That's my, the one. Yeah, that's uh, the one. My God, that that was a true torture test because, like, it's not just physically torturing, but mentally. Because mentally, you're like, fuck, am I done? Excuse the language. But you're like, man, am I done? Am I done? And you're like, no, I got I got a couple more laps. I got to go. And you can see where people are just giving up. You know, you talk about discipline and, and people that give up give up after a certain point. As you climb up and down those stadium steps and you could see people that come in before you and then they leave because they couldn't complete the actual, you know, required amount of laps. And, and, and you got, that's the point where you got to push yourself and say, Hey, I came here to finish this job. I'm going to finish it no matter what, no matter how long it takes, you know, that, you know, that really, you know, and in a way it just proves to yourself that if you could do that, if you could actually grab two heavy ass sandbags, climb up and down those steps for, I don't know, 20 times or however many times you were supposed to do it and complete it. Then anything else, any other challenge you have in life, you can accomplish those things too. I, and, and for me, that's the, the link between martial arts and OCR is that if you can meet any challenge that's placed before you, then in, in just those two environments, then when it comes to life, no matter what life throws at you, you can accomplish those things. You just have to look at the problem in a different way, but you can find those solutions. Absolutely. Also want to give a quick shout out to LV Guzman, who's the owner of, I believe he's still the owner of City Challenge Race. And if anyone who has come up to North American Championships or OCR World Championships and jumped over the uh, police car and taxi car, <laughs> again, that is from the City Challenge Race. And it always comes out like my, you always get a good picture in my mind in that. Whether you go over it slow and kind of like flex at the top or like the one I have from North American Championship, I'm like vaulting over one-handed and it looks mm-hmm. – it just looks awesome. So worth it for the picture, for the for the gram alone, definitely. Oh, yeah. Definitely a money shot. Yeah. All right. So I, I also mentioned we had uh, – I had met you at Tiga Tactics Seminars or, you know, two in Maryland. So uh, tell people – a little bit about uh, Tiga Tactics Seminar and kind of what, in your opinion, makes a difference from like a normal martial arts seminar. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I love about Tiga Tactics is that uh, the founders are Conrad Bowie and uh, Patrick uh, Vuong. I might be mispronouncing his last name. I think but you got it. Pat- <laughs> yeah. But with Patrick and Conrad, one thing that's great is that they take their collective experience in martial arts from Wing Chun, kickboxing, BJJ, Kali, sea lot chinese martial arts and everything else in between and they boil it down to the fundamentals because it's not about having some badass martial artists you know some top level practitioners being a part of the tiga tactics you know uh group we're, we're really boiled down to the fundamentals so that way anyone even someone off the street can actually learn these things to defend themselves and i remember with the first you know at the first tiga tactics seminar that you uh that i met where i met you the first time we had some folks that are from Virginia, so they're used to concealed carrying, but they never trained with a knife before. Mm-hmm. And I remember with that couple, you know, the the wife and husband, they both had some questions. And, of course, the wife was a little bit more uh, uh, vocal about some of her concerns about carrying a knife, deploying a knife, and be able to fend off an attacker while deploying her knife. But I remember at the, end, at the second day, so basically within a six- to eight-hour period of time, she built up the level of competency to be able to deploy her blade and and be able to do what needs to be done. And it was great because with Tika Tactics, it really, again, focuses on the fundamentals because everyone 
loves seeing all the cool trick shots of parlor, parlor tricks and all that, but you need the fundamentals in order to get there. Yeah. And that's something I appreciate about Tiki Tactics is that they're not trying to teach all these cool techniques, you know, what you see on YouTube and Instagram where you have these quote unquote masters in a McDojo fashion, you know, using a force field to drop all their opponents. It's like, Hey, let's boil it down to, Hey, use your, use basic kickboxing to create distance, deploy your blade, then have that blade be your sword and shield between you and your opponent. And so very simple, but very fundamental stuff that you could take for your own. And once you practice that, you could really develop the skills that you need to, to, to build off of it. Yeah, totally agree. Again, Conrad and, um, Patrick, who I've both had on the podcast before, just incredibly knowledge. They've done so many different styles and achieved such a high level in so many different styles. I think if they if they didn't have that base, you could go to one of their seminars and be like, these guys are just teaching like real basic stuff. But th- you know that they're pulling from this enormous pool and they're like, this is what you need. And I think that is what's truly valuable is they've they've distilled it down to like just the bare necessities. And if I'm going to teach my wife or I'm going to teach a – you know, if I only have a couple of days with someone, that's essentially what I'm going to teach them and not focus on all the, you know, the dozens and dozens and hundreds of other moves that are, that are out there. So, and I also feel like when I go, so I've been, I've been to a whole bunch of different seminars for martial artists and mm-hmm. a lot of them are great, you know, and sometimes you learn just like really cool stuff. But I, every time I leave a Tiga Tactics seminar, I feel like I'm, I'm better. I feel like I'm a better martial artist than when I walked in the door at the beginning. Um, versus sometimes I leave some of the other seminars and I learned a lot of like really cool stuff, but I don't, I don't think I can execute it in any way, shape or form without, <laughs> without several more days and hours of practice versus when I leave a ticket tax seminar, I'm like, all right, I- I'm better right now than I was 48 hours ago, hands down. Um, oh, yeah. you know, it- it's not going to be sexy, but it's, I'm going to be able to do the move in a, in a pressured environment, um, to, you know, to execute the techniques that they taught. So. Absolutely. And, and one thing I love about Tika Tactics is that with their with their uh, course offerings, it deals with all kinds of stuff that we we would see on the street, you yep. know, dealing with a, uh, with an attacker with a baseball bat or, you know, with, with their upcoming seminar, dealing with grappling, like someone actually, you know, knocked you down or, or tackled you to the ground. How do you defend against an attacker? Because obviously, if you're being attacked, chances are likely two things. One. The attacker has a weapon, and two, he has friends. So if you got your back on the ground and you got someone on top of you just grounding and pounding and just punching you, how do you deal with that? And so um, looking forward to to that with Tika Tactics because, again, they're thinking about real-world real application and how to handle it in the most fundamental way so that way you could actually survive. Yeah, good stuff. They're yeah. next. So for our listeners, they're, uh, they're, they got a couple of webinars going on this year. I think this will come out after their next webinar, uh, which is early June. Uh, but then they're, they're live training. Uh, they have one in San Francisco, July 15th and 16th. They've got another webinar, August 12th, uh, just like you were saying, Tommy, about stand and fight. Mm-hmm. And then they've got, let's see what else they got, Wilderness Weekend, uh, so a combination of Wilderness Survival, um, September 16th and 17th in, the in I believe, Northern Virginia area. So a combination of Wilderness Survival and also, uh, you know, essential martial arts. And then I know Conrad's teaching some, if you like the fancy and, and sexy stuff, I know he's got a, a Penjaxalot seminar in October in Maryland also. So you guys can check that out in tigatactics.com's the website, or if you want to sign up for any of their online training, which can be done literally at your own time and pace. It is, uh, if you head to my Instagram, Ultra OCR Man, there's, I've got a link in there, and I've also got a discount code for 50% off. So anyone who's looking to sign up, you can head over and use my discount code and uh, click through click through my links, please, and that would be helpful. And yeah, you can check them out. Any other uh, final thoughts for Tiga before we start closing it up? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I will say this as a plug-in for Tiga Tactics. One of the things that I can really appreciate, <clears throat> and this goes back to the cross-training, but I remember at the first Penjoxilot, uh seminar I attended with uh, Conrad, is that Conrad, in, in his portion of, or during his session, he would teach Chinese martial arts like Bagua, you know, basically Chinese boxing. 
And so he would teach all the different forms and everyone's kind of looking at each other like, okay, why are we walking around in a circle doing all the movements from like, you know, dragon, you know, dragon head, you know, whatever, whatever the moves were called. But then the cool part, the fun part is when uh, Danny Presatia, who is a Sealock uh, guy, his school is, his system is called Inti Ambak Penjok Sealock, which basically means inner wave uh, Penjok Sealock. But Danny would take the Chinese martial arts that Conrad just taught, then apply it to Sealock. Mm. So now you're getting two fundamentally different martial arts systems. And like you said, when it comes to martial arts and, and OCR, there's a lot of principles that actually in fundamentals that start to merge. And so with Danny, he would actually merge the two and say, all right, everything that Conrad did, we're going to do, but we're going to do it with the C-Lot. And then we would actually use a C-Lot application to what Conrad just taught. And I remember Danny, Danny, he's, he's a jokester. As everyone's struggling, Danny would turn to the whole, 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 whole group and go, hey, guys, you just trained in this for a whole hour. We're just doing it a little differently. What's wrong? <laughs> but it was fun because it was just like really, you know, challenging ourselves mentally to take what was taught before. And instead of there being like a gap or a division, but actually linked it to, to make it our own. It was just, it was just phenomenal. So definitely if, you know, any of the Tika tactics uh, seminars or any of the C-Lot uh, seminars that Comrade does, you know, definitely attend those. Yeah. Now, I think one of the things that really drew me to them is I see the same concept I've used for obstacle course racing, strength and speed is the same thing I see them doing with martial arts, right? Where they, they, they try out all these different styles and then they're like, they're pulling lessons and techniques from all these different styles and applying them into a single, um, you know, a single product, just like essentially that's what I've been doing with obstacle course racing, right? Like obstacle mm -hmm. course racing is only about a decade old, so the sport's still relatively new. But in physical fitness and improving and, you know, getting better at grip strength and getting better cardio and being more versatile, like going from uh, we call it compromised running where you go from like obstacles back to running. All that stuff is kind of old. So if I can just steal lessons from all these other sports, I can essentially build um, a obstacle course racing athlete capable of doing very impressive stuff. And I see the same concept work being worked at Tiga Tactics. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's actually start closing it up now. Before we get going, we like to ask our listeners, tell us something people would be surprised to know about you. Okay, so I'm a big nerd. So on top of martial arts and OCR, I actually play uh, Magic the Gathering. So, nice. Yeah. Never. I never got into Magic. I, I played like uh, I think twice in my life. Um, but I, not surprisingly, I have friends who do that. So <laughs> you are in good company. You are in good company. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, also, music. I mean, of course, everyone loves music, but for me, I love attending concerts. So I, I particularly like metal and rock. So um, I, I actually go uh, attend a lot of concerts, but I, you know, again, building relationships. So I actually have a lot of friends that are musicians and, uh, you know, just like to talk about music and and incorporate music into martial arts. Gotcha. So give me give me a couple of your favorite uh, bands here. Okay, so some of the well-known names. I love Gojira, uh, Rammstein, Rammstein uh, yeah. Behemoth, um, Deftones. Nice. Yeah. Good. I, I've seen Rammstein in concert, I think, twice. Um, no way. Really? Yeah. Have you, you've seen them in concert? Have you seen them in concert? Oh, yeah. I've seen them twice. Uh, okay. I saw them in 20, uh, 2017 and also last year. Oh, wow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date myself real quick. Let's see. I saw them in oh boy, nineteen ninety nine, the Family Values tour. Oh God, yeah, that was a ride. I remember, you know, I I, I really wanted to go to that when I was a teenager and I first listened to Rammstein. But yeah, when they got arrested, it was like okay. <laughs> and then let's see. During that concert, I was crowd surfing. They dropped me. I hit the ground and basically like blacked out for a couple of seconds. And then someone no. someone picked me up and like. They were like holding me up, and I was like, "I don't know what happened." Um, <laughs> so uh, that was an interesting experience. And then I, I saw them again, where they headlined. Uh, Soulfly opened for them in New York City again. That was probably early two thousands. Two thousand. I'm gonna go with like two thousand two. And they are. If anyway, if anyone's likes Rammstein a little bit, you gotta go see them in concert because they literally. I don't. Know, do they still burn everything? Like everything yes. was pyrotechnics. 
Oh, yes. Uh, when I saw him in Philly last year, the whole sky above the stadium was just covered in black smoke from all the pyrotechnics. It's so good. It like if they didn't even play music, it would still be worth going to watch because that's how that's how much stuff they get set on fire. It's awesome. I mean, drumsticks. They got a cage that's on fire. There's like when they opened the show, they was, they had the uh, the curtain up and like a fuse went up both sides of the curtain. Mm-hmm. There's an explosion and then the curtain just fell and they they were there with like the lights on and music playing. It was it was a pretty awesome start. Oh yeah, it, it it was. I remember there was this uh, band called Three Teeth, which I love those guys. Um, but with Three Teeth, th- during an interview, they mentioned that during the whole tour, when they opened up for Ramstein, they actually had to mark an X on where on the only spots where they could actually stand because they were mm. so afraid to trigger off the, the the fireworks that they had to literally just stand on the X and not move anywhere else. I'm it, not it was surprised. Great. Yeah. Okay. And they took like an hour between uh, opening band and Rammstein because they have to like recheck all the pyrotechnics or set everything up or something. Because it, it's a it's a long break whenever Rammstein comes on. Um, and then I'm gonna keep it PG. Do they still? Uh, let's see. How do I say this? PG. <laughs> you know what I'm about to ask? Do they? Does does the does he still expose um, himself? It's not real, but yeah. So. <laughs> He modified it because, uh, you know, I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago about Family Values. So Family Values, that was a great lineup of all the bands from Limp Bizkit to Rammstein and everyone else. But they got arrested because of that prop. So uh, well, OK, yeah. yeah he's got a got fake. Arrested. He's got a fake. He exposed himself. It's fake. It's not his actual. Yeah, but he, yeah. he pulls it out and it sprays water into the crowd. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't do that now. Uh, uh, maybe in some other countries he does. But what he did was. He would actually make he actually turned into a cannon. So a big ass cannon that's actually shooting out confetti into the crowd. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it would shoot water and people would like people would like push <laughs> to the front to try to get sprayed. It was very, very bizarre. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, great, great. They put on a great show. Side note. They my do. two the two bands I've seen the most in concert, my two favorites, uh again, uh dating myself i don't update my music selection very often uh rise against and bad religion oh which, cool which i really enjoy but at the same time it's funny because they are they are basically the antith- they basically the things they stand for is like almost the complete opposite of like who i am as a person um, yeah like being like very anti you know as a, as a military member and a christian like this those two they they're stand on the complete opposite side of the spectrum of me i just think it's funny but their music's really good so. No, it really is. It really is. <laughs> I remember, I remember seeing Rise Against open for uh, Deftones a couple years ago, and man, what a great show! Just the energy, the the passion that they have in their music, and 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 especially in their live performance, just nothing like it. Yeah, good stuff. All right, now we're actually going to wrap it up. Uh, any final shout outs you want to give friends, family, sponsors, or social media plugs where people can follow you, etc. Your training group, whatever. Yeah, I just want to give a shout out to, you know, our training group, uh, Combat Collie Sea Lot. So uh, we actually have two chapters, one in Jersey, one in Maryland. I uh, want to shout out to Duran Howard, uh, Tony McGregor, um, and also uh, LT, uh, Lieutenant Eric. But also just want to shout out to Conrad Bowie and guys like him and, and even yourself, you know, just being open-minded and just having an openness to to train, to learn as much as possible and and not be limited um to one particular skill set or you know system so just want to shout out to all those folks and just want to say appreciate appreciate you all and right uh, yeah and evan thank you so much for having me on your uh, podcast my pleasure thanks for coming on and then for our listeners you can head over to teamstrengthspeed.com or ultraocrman.com both take you to the same website there are links all over it for the 24 uh, minute documentary that's professionally produced by bobby ross covers some of the ultra endurance events i've done and kind of dives into the psyche of ultra-endurance sports. You guys can check that out. It's a $10 purchase. It allows you to digital download or stream. Um, and then for any of them, any of you guys listening that like kind of this picking of lessons from different sports and stuff like that and are interested in endurance, my latest book is called On Endurance. It's available off Amazon Digital or Hard Copy, or you can buy Hard Copy off my website. And again, that takes lessons learned from specific ones that I pulled from the podcast. I pulled from like over 200 episodes and pulled a bunch of lessons and threw it into this book, kind of giving you like a step-by-step guide on how to 
improve endurance, including like mental tips. And it's not just for obstacle course racing, it's for any sport. That book specifically has two quotes in there from Patrick. So I uh, wants to read some quotes from him. And then if you like some of the, say, well, more of a combative side of things, uh, my, bi- my biography, Ultra OCR Man, uh, covers some of my professional background as a special forces soldier and then some of the again some of the ultra endurance charity events you could call the book a prequel to the documentary or you could call the documentary a sequel to the book uh, they cover some of the same stuff but the actual film footage covers stuff that is not in the book and the book covers stuff that is not in the film footage so you guys can check that out and that that book's available hard copy digital and audiobook audiobook is off of audible so through your amazon account and finally, Blegmitz, the best-selling obstacle course written, race mitten, is available off our website. We are the only distributors in the U.S. Make sure you pick up a copy for, or a pair, rather, for anyone doing toughest or any endurance stuff or planning on doing cold weather training. All right, Tommy, thanks again for coming on. Good talking to you. Uh, appreciate your time, and uh, have a good rest of your day. Yeah, you too, man. Thank you. All I right. appreciate you too, man. I'll catch you later. All right, talk to you later.